I'm Jasmine Falk Dickerson. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is an extraordinary Michael Jackson tribute artist and impersonator. Since childhood and adolescence, he has carried the legacy of the King of Pop through dance and speaking truth against the controversies surrounding Jackson. He shares insights of his own journey and tips for any aspiring MJ impersonator out there. Today, I want you to meet Kent Olaf. I've been a Michael Jackson fan since the age of mm, six or seven or eight. I can't even remember. Actually, probably six, because I remember 1979 when I first saw the Jacksons um, doing Blame It on the Boogie in one of the Disco in the Snow shows. Um, Some of the people out there might remember what I'm talking about, Um, but it was a really, really big time for disco in that era, which my mom was a big fan of, and that's how I got introduced to the Jacksons, the Jackson 5, and then, of course, Michael Jackson when he exploded on the scene with Off the Wall and later on with Thriller, which was the most captivating uh, performance I've ever seen in my life. Since then, I've been a fan. I've followed every step and every move. I've danced and danced and danced. Michael Jackson literally kept me sane during a time in a childhood where I felt so restricted in my own ability to express myself both artistically, emotionally, um, and socially for the most part. Uh, I spent hours in my room just alone doing the dances, doing the moves over and over and over. And so when I saw Kent Olaf on Instagram, there was just this immediate like, oh, I know exactly what this person is doing. I know what he feels. I know what he's going through. And I really wanted to talk to someone else that had the same kind of start from childhood with that same inspiration and that same commitment and devotion. Now, granted, Kent Olaf has taken it to a very high and professional level. I sort of remained uh, in my own just private world, enjoying it with friends and family and doing the occasional performance, even into my 40s. But nothing like what Kent Olaf has put together. And today with social media, he's really able to uh, share that incredible talent that he has. Uh, I've said it to him. I'll say it again. Um, In my opinion, he is visually the most impeccably perfect Michael Jackson impersonator I've ever seen. Um, And so this conversation was all nerding out and geeking out on everything Michael Jackson, but also the story, the story of how people grow up to be inspired and what it is that they're looking for uh, from when they're children, what it is that helps them um, commit to something and just go the extra mile to... um, to to create and foster magic in the world and share what makes people happy and what unites us. So this conversation is definitely focused a lot around Michael Jackson, but the spirit and the essence of it is really about our humanity and the importance of sharing joy, especially in a time where there's so much fragility around our own vulnerabilities and our own insecurities. Um, So I hope you get as much inspiration out of this conversation as I have as much inspiration that Michael Jackson has aspired to give the world, and that you leave with a smile on your face and hopefully check out not just Michael Jackson and relive the magic of Michael Jackson again on YouTube or whatever channel you use, but also please check out Kent Olaf on all of your social medias, um, because I think you will be blown away. Here is Kent Olaf.
All right. Well, we are moonwalking into this conversation today. I'm very, very excited. Welcome, Kent Olaf. Thank you. So you're coming in from Norway. I am so excited to have this conversation with you as another major MJ fellow fan. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Great. So I have to tell you, full disclosure right away, um, the way I found you on Instagram is uh, I promised my sister I would tell the story. Uh, so she's always sending me things about Michael Jackson, any, you know, tribute artists, impersonators, makeup, you know, uh, folks who end up, you know, looking like him through plastic surgery. And she sent me a video of yours. And all she said was, was on it was, wow. And so, of course, I played hmm. it and I was like, wow, is right. Who is this person? And of course, I immediately went diving deep into your Instagram, watching all your videos. So that's how I found you several months ago was through my sister. Because growing up, I was a, I still am, huge Michael Jackson fan. I did the impersonation, the dancing for my family, for my friends. Um, and so for my family, any Michael Jackson impersonation is me. And so anything related to Michael Jackson comes straight to me. And when I saw you, for me to say that you are by far the most perfect, incredible Michael Jackson impersonator slash tribute artist I've ever seen is not an exaggeration. Wow, thank you. By far. So I'm sure you've heard this a lot from many people. But I have to say, it's, anyway, we'll get to that. I'm going to keep talking more about that in my impressions. But I want to start at the very beginning so we get to know you, Kent Olaf. Um, tell me a little bit about your childhood, your upbringing. Yeah, um, I was uh, born on the western part of uh, Norway. Uh, my family is uh, from uh, the northern part of Norway. But uh, after the Second World War, my grandmother uh, moved to the south because uh, the Germans burned down pretty much everything uh, up north, so mm -hmm. there was nothing left. So she uh, um, moved down south. Uh, she moved back uh, to the north a few years later, uh, and then she had my mother. And uh, she, my mother grew up in the northern, northern part, but because of work, they uh, moved back south. Um, and uh, my mother met... Uh, my father, I don't remember the year, uh, but they married, and I think my mother was 20 when she had my big brother. I have a big brother who is mm -hmm. five years older than me, uh, and I think that was in the northern part of Norway. They've been, they've been moving all over the place. I'm trying to remember where everybody yeah. <laughs> was, and, uh, and then I moved back south because my father, he works uh, in uh, the nor North Sea between uh, Norway and England uh, out in the oil fields. Mm. So because of work, they had to move to the western part of uh, Norway. So uh, I was born there because they moved there. Mm -hmm. And since then, we've been moving around uh, in southern Norway. Uh, and I grew up, uh, went to school in a really small town called Gol, J-O-L, mm -hmm. <laughs> in a valley. Uh, in the, um, I think it's about 5,000 people living there. Uh, and I uh, went to uh, elementary school there, and then my mother and my, uh, myself moved to uh, right outside of Oslo. Uh, so I went to high school there and, and spent most of my adult life uh, living there. And uh, my grandmother, she moved to the city I'm living in now called Fredrikstad, which is uh, close to the border of Sweden. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, that was an interesting childhood. Uh, first living in the valley, that was um, 
perfect for me. I like being outside. All the, back then, we didn't have internet or uh, mobile phones. So, sure. uh, <laughs> out riding bikes, playing soccer, listening to music, having a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, and then I moved to. Uh, Moved to right outside Oslo, which was a lot bigger than I was used to, from mm. five thousand people to a hundred thousand people. Wow! <laughs> uh, and that's where uh, that's when I started uh, uh, dancing like Michael Jackson. Okay, around that time. So. Okay, so not to get very personal and ask you your age, but what era are we talking about? Is this nineteen nineties when you were? Uh, well, uh, no, it's the uh, it's the latter part of the eighties, so okay. bad era. Okay. So I discovered Michael in 1987 when I was seven years old. Okay. So I'm 41 now. Okay. Uh, so I was a fan pretty early, but I didn't start to dance until I was 14. Okay. So you. So this is very. This is very good to know. You are definitely. Uh, you you came onto the Michael Jackson movement during Michael Jackson. It's not like you discovered him later as a younger person looking back. I got, I got to experience the bad era, the interest era, and the history era. And, and Excellent. Yeah, I love that. I love how only true Michael Jackson fans know when you're saying the era. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> not just the decade, but the, the month know. and all of that. <laughs> Fantastic. So you discovered Michael Jackson sometime when you were about seven years old and you didn't start dancing till about seven years after that in your teens. Yeah. But were you, um, so were you into dance before Michael Jackson or was Michael Jackson? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Okay. I was really shy when I was uh, a kid. So dancing was pretty much out of the question. Wow. <laughs> uh, and my brother, he, he, uh, practiced some hip hop and break dancing, uh, in the eighties. And he taught me the moonwalk when I was 12. Wow. So I knew the moonwalk a couple of years before I started to dance, but I was really shy. So uh, getting me to show something or, or move to the music, I mean, I just, no. I would run. I would like dance for us. And I'm like, no, no, no. Wow. That's just so incredible. So at that time when you were that age, what do you think was your actual like life aspiration? If it wasn't dance, what were you thinking of doing with your I life? I was, uh, my goal was to be a professional soccer player. Mm, okay. So still Me and body. my brother, we had the same aspirations. So we played soccer uh, every day and we joined the team. And that was like, we wanted to be professional uh, soccer players. Uh, so I played soccer every day and I pretty much spent as much time doing that as I do Michael Jackson dancing now. Well, And it's really interesting because it's still a body movement. It's still something that utilizes your body. A sport is, of course, something where you have to keep yourself, you know, body and mind very centered and in, in kind of in connection. Okay, so let's fast forward to age 14 when you discover that you now have an interest in dancing. Were you listening to Michael Jackson as an artist at this point? Were you really into the bad album? Yeah, yeah. And the I was... Uh... I wasn't that, uh, I wasn't type of fan that was collecting a lot of stuff. Uh, back then, we pretty much only had MTV. Mm -hmm. So uh, I recorded like a couple of weird videos. I remember I had Moonwalker on VHS. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't have any CDs. I had Dangerous on cassette and Bad on cassette. So it was like, I wasn't that into music. So I was like listening to music like from MTV and my brother had some CDs and I would listen to Michael from time to time. But when I started to dance, that's when I started to really dig into mm. everything about Michael. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, let me ask you this. I have to ask this on behalf of every child of the 80s and the 90s. Were you into AHA at all? <laughs> I liked AHA. Okay. But my uh, 
I used to listen to rock music mostly. Ah, okay. So, and my brother influenced me that because he was like really into. Uh, I'm trying to. What did we call that rock music in the '80s uh, with the Kiss, uh, Twisted Sister? Uh, like metal music or hairband? Yeah, hairband. Glam. No, I'm trying to remember the name. It had a name like uh, like Bon Jovi. Those well, types of things. They, so they were either. So they were also called uh, hairbands because they had a lot of yeah, hair. Yeah. 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 The big I remember my, hair my metal. brother, he, he, he was so into Twisted Sister, and they had this, like, logo. Yeah, Like, yeah. this cross type of, of thing, and he was all over tagging this logo. So <laughs> if I saw, like, a Twisted Sister logo, I was like, that's my brother. Oh, wow. <laughs> all and over then, the place. Then, then he started listening to grunge music, so I, I borrowed CDs from him all the time. So I started listening to Nirvana and mm. Metallica. So I was listening to more rock music than pop music, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, that's so interesting. And then, but then your path was led to the king of pop, and so yeah. then you start dancing. So, what is it about the dance that made you feel like this was something that you wanted to really pursue deeper? Because there's such liberation. Again, I know this because I've done this. It's it's this escapism. How was it for you? Well, it's interesting because it was a little bit of coincidence because I had some trouble with my knee mm. playing soccer, and my doctor said I had to take a break for a year. And I was kind of lost because I'm I'm type of person when I find something to do, I want to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And then when I lost that, I was like, what am I supposed to do now? So out of a whim, I just figured, why don't I try, try and learn a couple of Michael Jackson moves? So I was sitting uh, at home and uh, watching MTV. And I remember MTV Greatest Hits coming on because I knew they played 80s uh, songs mm-hmm. and sitting ready with my uh, VHS recorder and they played bad, and I recorded bad, and I just watched it, and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to learn that move. So I just practiced one move, and I, I was able to uh, to well, manage it somewhat, and I was like, wow, and I want to do another move. Oh, wow. And I want to do another move, and before <laughs> I knew it, I was hooked. That's incredible. I just want to, because I'm a type of person, when I get hooked to something, I just want to consume everything. Yes. Yeah, no, I I understand. I understand very much because I'm a lot like that. Do you, uh, here's a good question though. Um, I would like to know: Were you good at mimicking things before the Michael? J- I mean, were you sort of a gifted child that way? Uh, actually, yeah, about mimicking, it was kind of my thing. I like, I loved impersonating. Uh, like, I was a big Superman uh, fan when I was a kid, growing mm-hmm. up watching Christopher Reeve's Superman films. Mm-hmm. So I, and I had a Superman uh, outfit, so I would like play out the movie. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just pretend I was Superman, and I, I, I would imitate movies. Like, back, I'm a huge fan of Back to the Future. Yes, and I would we watch those movies over and over and over again to I memorize all the all the dialogue, and I had like these toy cars, and I would just re reenact the yes. movie. <laughs> and I like I also like to draw mm. and make drawings, and I always like found something. I'm gonna uh, do a copy of that. Uh, what's it called? A portrait. I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with the terminology. So I liked finding out how things were and trying to imitate them, and and that pique my curiosity because I'm, sure. I'm the type of person like I like to figure out why things are the way they are yeah yeah so I used that to kind of like get an, a deeper understanding of what I was seeing or experiencing so I kind of had that from 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 early on imitating what I would see so imitating Michael Jackson that felt very natural for me to yeah. do yeah and, and you know I asked this question because I was very much that child as well it sounds like we were just the 
you know, up on the opposite side of the same spectrum, um, where very much so it was for me, it was I would reenact the entire sound of music to my family with all the voices and all the characters or the Wizard of Oz or, you know, any Greece and anything that was like really big at the time for our childhood. And I think part of it is also the childhood and the time that we grew up in. Right. Today, kids don't have as many. I mean, they are still doing some of these things, but they have other ways to artificially express these things right through social media and digital formats. We had, like you said, your little cars, your drawings. It was really you and that mode of art would you say yeah because you you know we didn't have all the all the technology back then so you kind of have to make use of what you had mm-hmm. and kind of use your imagination uh so i did that with pretty much everything i remember i remember i was very different from the other kids when playing with toys other kids were like with lego for, for example lego was uh, always extremely popular in norway so mm-hmm. i would always play with lego with, with my friends but they would like build build the sets as they were Designed, I would build my own sets. Yes. I, yes. I was looks. I would build a car, build an airplane, and I'm a big um, fan of uh, ships. So I love uh, traveling at sea. So I would like build big ships and just look at drawings and see it and make it try to make it accurate. So the kids would always be like, "Yeah, we're gonna go play with Kent because he's got, <laughs> he's got the whole house." So, so I we. we place lego all over the house because the carpet was blue and i was like guys this is a sea that <laughs> carpet is an island that carpet is an island you build a fortress there with a harbor and boats and whatever you want and we just make believe a, yes. a reality a world and that was kind of like the way i was i yeah. just wanted to recreate everything that i saw and just play with it so everything i can get my hands on and, and use my imagination in that way i would do and I think today with technology, that is kind of limited. Mm-hmm. It limits the imagination because yeah. uh, you you only have what you see on the screen and, and there's not much you can do about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and also kids today, they consume so much. It's like all the time something new. But when I grew up, you kind of like had like three, four, five things that you did for like two, three years yeah. before so you move on to the next one. And so the consumption wasn't that... Um, uh, big, so you kind of had time to dig into to to what you were doing and 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 explore it and and experience it and learn yeah. from it. So uh, I think that's the main difference between kids today and back when I was young. Yeah, is, is that we were allowed to use our imagination a lot more. Very much so. And and what you describe is also how Michael Jackson was as an artist, right? He was he would get consumed with the one thing and perfected, which is why he was such an extraordinary, not just dancer, but artist and also uh, entrepreneur and philanthropist. I mean, he had so many ideas that were very, very creative and very innovative because he spent time getting fixated on things and wanting it to do it his way. So in some ways, it's really interesting to see who we're drawn to as artists or as, you know, people that we admire, because there is such a relationship with the way we're feeling and thinking and what we're looking for. Uh, and, and the way you describe it, it makes me think of, you know, Michael Jackson also in some way in that capacity. And this is something that you carried with you. I mean, you're, you said you were 41 and you are still very, very active and strong in your a pursuit of the art and the perfection of the art, which we will talk more about. But I want to ask you this as as we continue this journey of exploring and getting to know Kent Olaf and, and really seeing, you know, where you came from and where you are today. So you had this, you know, magical way of wanting to 
express yourself, to mimic things, but then make them your own. The Legos were your own. You know, don't follow what's on the box. Just do your own thing. So with, with dance and with Michael Jackson, where what do you think was the primary appeal for you besides the fact that the moves were so um, intriguing and so fascinating? What was it for you that besides the fact that you spent a year with your you know, a knee issue. What was it about that that made you say, okay, I'm not going to go do break dance or some other or hip hop. No, I'm really going to perfect the artistry of Michael Jackson's moves. Well, I, I think it was because I realized pretty early on that dancing he did was extremely uh, high level, extremely detailed. So the challenge I think was uh, what uh, drew me to it. I wanted to like try. I mean, I, I realized that I cannot become as good as Michael Jackson, but I still want. I set that goal. I want. I want. And I, I don't don't want to just copy him. I want to learn the entire concept. And I realized that Michael's dancing was. Well, Michael's dancing is like, if you do it right, it looks good. Not because it looks like Michael, but because the dancing looks good if you do it the correct way. And and I I've learned since that Michael thought thought of it the same way is because he 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 would spend hours in front of the mirror perfecting all the details. And I thought a lot about that, and I and I realized that that's the challenge. You have to kind of like perfect all the details to make it look good. And and once I realized that that was something that I can strive for. That's kind of like what pushed me forward. I just wanted to make sure that everything looked perfect. And I, I wasn't able to film a lot back then, but the little stuff I filmed, I would look at it and I was like, ah, that doesn't look right. Now let's get back to the drawing board and do wow. it all over again. And I was just, and I just got so consumed. I mean, I would dance for hours every day, just looking in the mirror, looking at Michael and, and, and the challenge just grew. It kept growing, and 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 then I started to test, try out the uh, the performing um, to perform like him, and that became like part of the challenge. Can I recreate an, an entire concert? Learn an entire concert, do the entire concert, and just make it look exactly like uh, the original. And yeah, the challenge itself—that's because it's it's really challenging. I don't think there's any dance style that's more challenging. Than yeah, Michael. I agree. I agree. And and I have to say, and I'm not just saying this just to be completely complimentary. I really mean it. I would not be talking to you if I didn't think this. Truly, if you I think you're also built like him. So I think that really helps. I think you you have the same kind of body structure. Because if you if I'm watching your videos and I'm not looking at your face, it I mean, I, I could be fooled. And I know Michael Jackson very well. You can't fool me. I know when they pretend to put an album out and pretend it's Michael Jackson's voice. I'm like, nope, it's not. But when yeah. I look at your dance, I'm like, okay, let me really think about this because I'm not sure. Is this Michael Jackson? I mean, that's how well you've perfected it. And which leads Thank me, you. yeah, which leads me to the next thing. One of the things I have to say I really admired about watching you and watching your your posts is that you did not go the extra mile like many impersonators do and get so fixated on your physical feature of your face. Um, and no. I really appreciate that because you are yourself. You are, you know, you're a tribute artist. And you did not fall into that trap of, you know, morphing your your face, which so many tribute artists do. And it's kind of horrifying, I have to say. I mean, 
that's another conversation, and we'll continue into that as we talk more about Michael Jackson's metamorphosis. But that, so how did you come up with that decision? Well, um, back then, I uh, I didn't really think about the appearance. I wanted to have costumes, but uh, it was pretty much impossible to get costumes, and having them made by Taylor would cost too much. So I just used the clothes I had and just tried to make. Uh, it wasn't about the looks, it was about the feel. Like if I have a shirt, it should fit the way it should fit. If mm-hmm. I have pants, it should fit the way it fits. I even remember I tried to, to recreate the History Tour uh, armor, but I didn't oh. have the armor. <laughs> so I used the leg protections you use when you play soccer. I had a lot of those. Yeah. And I had a lot of silver tape. And I put the silver tape on top and I just hooked it onto my uh, yes. legs and arms. And... and just to experience how it would be dancing with uh, with all that on, but I was barely uh, focused on the appearance part. But when I became a professional Michael Jackson impersonator, I realized that if I wanted to perform in front of an audience, then I have to kind of like look like Michael. So mm-hmm. I, I did buy a wig. Mm-hmm. I did learn how to use the makeup and then started to get in costumes because I realized that uh, the audience has mm-hmm. an expectation. And mm-hmm. uh, so by looking a little bit like, I knew I couldn't be exactly like Michael because my facial features are very different from mm-hmm. Michael. So it will be like an, uh, uh, something in between. Yes, but you didn't you didn't go and do plastic surgery, which is what a lot no, of no, these, no, no, no. you know, that's what I mean. A lot of these perform, it's one thing when you're doing makeup because stages all, theatrics are all about makeup. But if yeah. you're, and that's for a performance, makes perfect sense. I would expect to have you wearing a wig and doing some of the makeup, but it's the, it's the actual metamorphosis and transformation where people start to believe they are a version of Michael Jackson because it becomes such a big part of their identity, but you are living your normal life looking like Kent Olaf and yet still being able to to jump into this role. Um, I want to say one quick thing Uh, when you were describing how you were making the costumes, you know, one of the things that I still today when the occasional time I will, you know, bring out my Michael Jackson and do my couple of moves is for me, one of the easiest uh, outfits to pull off was his, you know, the black pants, the short black pants, and then the white shirt with the white undershirt, and then the black band on his arm. And you know how I do the black band on the arm, how I did it when I was a kid and I still do today? Socks. You cut the top oh. of the sock and then you put it because it fits perfectly. So the, I, oh yeah, yeah, because it's it's yeah, it's the, snug. The, the, it's, it sits. Yeah, it yeah. sits perfectly. Yeah. So when you're describing how you're doing that, it really brought back memories. I love that. But now you have these incredible costumes because I see them on your social media. Um, do you special order them? Are they special? Yeah, uh, there's a site called Michael Jackson Celebrity Clothing. They mm. uh, started up. I think it was in 2010. Uh, so I started buying from them. I have a couple of costumes that was tailor made, but they're completely worn out now. So, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I bought from them, and I uh, I got to know an impersonator from uh, Germany in 2005 because I was in Holland uh, on a really big Michael Jackson event called the European Jackson event. Mm. Uh, And this guy is one of the most incredible impersonators, in my opinion, because he has a really focus on the professional part. Mm. So his costumes are exact replicas of Michael's. His tailor contacted Michael Bush and got all the details of all the fabrics Michael used. Wow. So he spent a fortune recreating all the the Michael Jackson costumes. And when I came to Holland, 
Only thing I had was a black pass with some white stri- stripes that my grandmother helped me buy and Aww. make. And I had a white shirt, and I contacted the guy who was hosting the event and said, I don't have a Billie Jean jacket. And he was like, no, that's okay. I got this guy from Germany. He wants to borrow the jacket. So I got to borrow his Billie Jean jacket, oh, wow. which is an exact replica of Michael's. Wow. Uh, so I have footage of, an, of it on my YouTube channel. So that was my first time performing uh, for a really big audience and first time performing in front of the fans. Uh, and my first taste of what it would be like to be a professional Michael Jackson impersonator. But I learned a lot. I talked a lot. This uh, He's called Andre Santisi. Hmm. You should really check him out. He's I on will. YouTube. And, uh, he's a really professional Michael Jackson impersonator. And he gave me a lot of tips on, on how to do stuff. And after that, I kind of started focusing more on how am I going to get costumes. Mm-hmm. But there still wasn't any website selling costumes. I had a tailor make me the Billie Jean jacket, which was really good. And mm-hmm. he made the History Tour gold uh, costume, mm-hmm. which uh, pretty much was perfect. Except one thing, he forgot to put uh, the, the cloth on inside that takes the moist. Oh, no. And it gets sweaty. So <laughs> after a couple of performances, all the gold fell off. And I was like, no. Oh, no. So I only had the Billie Jean jacket, but after Michael uh, died, uh, that Michael Jackson celebrity clothing site came out, yeah. and I just started buying. Yeah, and I've been buying from it since. That's that. Wow. Okay, Th- this is. I just. I have a million questions I want to ask because every time you know we share something, it's like, oh, okay, and I want to know more about this, and I want to know more about this. So you you mentioned that you became a Michael J- a professional. You were doing this professionally. Now, is this your full time job? Because I I think you're also a dance teacher. Yeah, uh, it's been. It was a part-time job in the beginning because I had a normal job, and, and this it, 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 there has never been a market for a Michael Jackson impersonator in Norway. The only professional impersonator in Norway the past thirty years, except me, is a guy who uh, impersonates Elvis. Oh wow! And he's one of the best in the world. He won. Uh, I think he came in third in a world championship a lot of years ago. Uh, he has uh, his Norwegian name is Hell, so he calls himself uh, Hell Elvis. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I've seen him live a couple of times, so he's incredible. And he was the only guy doing impersonation in Norway, so I was like the second. Wow! And the first professional Michael Jackson impersonator. So uh, this was brand new; it had never been done in Norway before. So uh, I kind of had like to figure out. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to f- perform? Who's mm-hmm. going to buy, buy this? So I had to learn everything mm-hmm. from scratch. But I already had learned a lot from Andre Santosis, a lot of tips on how to to promote myself, make promo videos, uh, websites, all that, and using YouTube. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was really interesting because I wanted to be a professional Michael Jackson person after that European Jackson event, but I had no idea how mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. And and. Nobody could help me. I didn't yeah. know anybody. I didn't know the business. Yeah. I didn't know any uh, booking agencies, nothing. Yeah. And in 2009, I took up a loan uh, and bought the, those costumes, and I booked a ticket to Holland to the same guys who hosted the European Jackson event, and we filmed a promo video. This was March 2009, wow. and uh, as a deal, Andre Santosi was uh, also there. Uh, uh, shooting uh, promo video so the deal was that he got to borrow the camera that I paid for and in return I could borrow his blood on the dance floor jacket Whoa. so I have, I have a video on, on YouTube where I dance with a replica of the blood on the wow. dance floor jackets and I was uh, spent a week in Holland and this is the same week Michael announces this is it 
Wow, perfect We're timing. We're on set shooting, and, and my friend, he's called Tice, uh, and he has hosted a European Jackson event since 2001, gets a call. Michael's on his way to London. He's announcing his comeback. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> so, so we just wrapped up the shooting, went back to my friend's house, went online, and there, and there he was in London uh, announcing this is it. And we were like, holy shit, it's what? happening. It's happening. So at the same time, Michael is announcing his comeback. I'm starting my professional impersonation process. And uh, I remember I went home and I was like, wow, this is so cool. I bought, yeah. and then we bought tickets for this is it. And I really didn't know what I was going to do, but my friend uh, called me and said that Michael's team had contacted him because he had he has worked for Michael's team before. Mm. Not a lot of people know this, but he was responsible for leaking some of Michael's unreleased songs back in 2003. Oh, wow. He, he, uh, he leaked Escape. Whoa. So I uh, so and the European wow. Jackson event uh, I was at was uh, uh, supported by Michael because this was during the trial. Oh, and Michael okay. was supposed to be there, but he couldn't leave the country because they took his passport. Wow. So he sent a video message instead, and Tosh Jackson flew to uh, oh, Holland wow. and brought with him signed fedoras and CDs that the audience. I think it was like thousand fans there, and. So, so he had a connection with Michael's team. So they contacted him and said, we want you to create a This Is It event in London. Because Michael was having a two-month break uh, in London and he wanted to have an event outside O2 Arena with 5,000 fans. Whoa. And my friend said that I want you and Andre Santosi to perform. So at that time, in my head, I'm thinking my first really big gig is going to be the This Is It event. And I'm going to, going to perform in front of Michael. Unbelievable. So I oh was preparing God. for that, plus going to London and seeing wow. This Is It. Wow. And then June 25, 25th happens. Yeah. And everything sh shatters. Wow. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, everything, he's gone. It's over. My, a friend of mine was like, he told me, it's over. Wow. It's over, Ken. And then he said something else. Now it's your turn. And I was like, hmm, interesting. But I didn't think about it because I was still in shock. I was like, I couldn't believe it. So a week went by, two weeks went by, and then my phone started ringing. Then everybody wanted a Michael Jackson tribute. Of course, of course. <laughs> and then it just started rolling. And there was a new European Jackson event. It was the first birthday after Michael died. So I went back to Holland, did a performance there. Uh, and then uh, I started you know, collaborating with a guy in Norway, creating a tribute show uh, that was uh, that premiered in 2010. Uh, so we started doing that. So that would, was like became my first like big gig that I was doing on my own. So I contacted a couple of people I knew you want to come and dance with me. So we started rehearsing. So that was like my first try and being a professional Michael Jackson impersonator. And and from there on, it's just kept going. So you, you so, basically, you prepared until Michael Jackson died. And when he died, yeah. you kicked off, you launched off. I yeah, mean, it's tragic. Totally, totally unexpected. I thought that that performance in London would, would be like the launch. Yeah. Because I would be uh, in front of Michael and five, his family sure. and kids and 5,000 fans. And I was like, and, and my friend Thais, he, he, he has worked with every big impersonators. He had worked with Navi, Casanova, uh, Ernest Valentino, Andres Antesi. He know all of them. And he was like, I want you and Andre. 
Yeah. So that was like a big deal for me that he chose me. I was like, thank you. That's so that's just, incredible. What a testament. I will say this, though. True impersonators become really huge after the artist is no longer there because the fans want a piece of it. So even if, you know, you had continued to be an impersonator and Michael Jackson had continued to, you know, live on, it never would be at the level that it is once they pass because the opportunities are just very different and they're more about you and what you bring, the feeling that you bring to the fans. Would you say? Of course. And... Yeah. and nothing would have happened in Norway if he had stayed alive. Yeah, exactly. Because there was no market for it. The market came to life when he died. Yeah. So let's talk about his death. Um, I, I remember exactly where I was. I was in Florida when he passed away. And I remember my phone started exploding because everyone that I knew, people that I hadn't talked to in years since my childhood were just calling me like, oh my gosh, you're the first person I thought of. And it was a shock. It was very, very, very shocking and devastating. And I'm not one that usually... I only, the only other time I cried when a celebrity died was when Princess Diana died, because that was, as a feminist, that was just very, very shocking and, and upsetting and disturbing. And, and then when Michael Jackson died, how did, where were you? Like, you know, people talk about where were you when J JFK died, you know, in, in American culture? Where, where were you? with a very good friend of mine. We were in Oslofjord uh, driving around in his little boat. It was a hot summer day. And then uh, uh, the phone rings, uh, one, a friend of mine who was a uh, big Michael Jackson fan and who I have danced with a lot called me and said, Michael's in the hospital. Now, and me and him were supposed to go to London. So we had like, we were talking pretty much every day, looking like, wow, we're going to see Michael Jackson. And he called, Michael is in, is in the hospital. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And the first thing he said, he had a heart attack. I think that was some of the first things mm -hmm. that were said on the news. Yeah. And I just told my friend, we got to go straight to shore and, and go to your place. So we just full wow. speed went straight up to his uh, apartment, turned on the news. And that was the exact time Michael was arriving at the hospital when we turned on the TV. So it, we were just sitting there and then suddenly Jermaine uh, comes out and mm -hmm. Michael Jackson has died. And I remember my friend's reaction. He's dead. Yeah. And I was, I didn't speak. I was just numb. Yeah, total shock. And then I just, I told him, I got to go. So I went back to my own apartment and I sat in front of the TV eight, in 18 hours straight, watching the news and just, I don't know, it was so surreal. Yeah. I, I, did, I, I didn't even notice time passing. Yeah. After 18 hours, I was like, oh, I almost two days in front of the TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and I was in shock a week. Yeah. I think it was the, was this uh, the, um, on July seventh when they had that uh, memorial. Mm -hmm. That's when I kind of realized mm -hmm. what had happened because yeah. that's when when the emotions came. Yeah, and that tribute was, was beautiful. Yeah, that's what that's when I started to cry for the yeah. first time. Yeah, when I saw that. And for you, I mean, now that we know the story, for you, the added kind of sadness was that you were coming so close to this dream of actually making a connection with him. So for you, more than just losing him was shattered. It was, yes, of course, this, you know, one artist that you really looked up to and has been such a big inspiration in your life. But now your chance of being able to ever meet him or, you know, spend time with him and share the passion of the art is now taken away from you. So that must have been really hard. 
Yeah, but at the time I didn't think about that because sure. <laughs> I lost the most important thing that I ever had in my entire life. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah that's... Even uh, even if I never met him, he was the most important person that uh, I had. Um, I was so mad that his final part of his life was ruined by yeah. all of the controversy. Yeah, let's talk about uh, that. Let's talk so about that. I was that. just waiting for his comeback, and when I knew he was coming back, I was like so happy mm-hmm. that he was still able and and willing. To, mm-hmm. to, to do what he wanted to do. And that was everything. That mattered more to me than doing mm-hmm. the Michael Jackson impersonating sure. thing. So seeing him in London and, and, and waiting for a new album and, and just re- knowing that he was okay and wanted to do this. Yeah. And when that was gone, that was all I could think of. So, so, so the impersonating stuff kind of like fell into place in my mind a few mm-hmm. months later. It's like August, September. I mm-hmm. kind of like could focus more on that part yeah but until then i I was just my mind was just constantly he's gone he's gone it's over it's not like my entire life i i know michael jackson yeah well when when he died the revenge of the fans died too you know it's like their opportunity to say this is it here's the comeback here's the time where we can really you know uh be able to showcase our loyalty to him. So let's talk about the controversy. I really, I think it's important to have this conversation. And I I tend to avoid it as much as possible because I don't like talking about it. Like you, Michael Jackson was such an important you know, person in my life, I he saved my childhood. And I grew up in a very oppressed society. And so he was the only thing that kept me holding on to hope and passion and dreams and just believing in myself. And so I really... Um, I did not want to be roped in and involved in all of that. How would you say your own response, both personally and publicly, socially, how did you handle all the stuff that kept coming up about him? Well, uh, when it began in 93, I was 13 years old. Uh, first, I was in disbelief because I was like, what? Uh, I couldn't just couldn't. I'm 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 a I'm a, I'm a kind of guy who who understands people, who who gets people. So if somebody is is someone who does something bad, I will pick up on it. And was mm-hmm. and I I kind of like, even though I don't meet people, I can like know what kind of person they are. So mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't believe that he was that kind of person. But I couldn't do anything about it because we we didn't have internet. It was pretty much and in Norway you kind of we had like two three channels that weren't talking about it. So I, I couldn't get any information, so I kind of just left it. Yeah, didn't think about it. But then in '94 I saw a documentary on a Norwegian TV channel, and then I saw that phone call with Evan Chandler, and that's when I knew it was bullshit. Because mm-hmm. I'm a kind of guy you can't fool me. I I know bullshit when I see it, yeah. and, and when I heard that phone call, I was like, no 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 no, this this is bullshit, and I. Kind of like at that moment was like finished thinking about it. He didn't do it. This is bullshit. They want money. Done. But I realized that the public's perception was different. So kids started kind of like making fun of me because I was a Michael Jackson fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't care. Uh, so I just didn't think about it. Uh, when he did a comeback on history, uh, history era, that was all I was focusing on and the dancing. And then November 1st, 2003, my mom called me early in the morning and I was like, they raided Michael, they raided Neverland. Yeah, that was. Awesome. I remember I was going out to the CD store to buy number ones. So that was my focus that day. But I just got up and turned on the news and I was like, what the hell is going on again? Yeah. And I, I knew that this has to be bullshit because 
that's not Michael. That's not who he is. But uh, like, like I said before, when I want to know something, I want to know all about it. So, yep. and then we had internet. So I just started started doing research. And the more research I did, I just I was a little bit uncertain because back then it was hard to get information. Even though I knew he was innocent, I was like, I gotta know for real. Same. I can assume. I have yep. to know. Yeah. Same. Not that I thought that he did it, but I just, I got to figure out what the hell is going on. So yeah. I started doing research and, and, and found, and that's when I found Engineer community and a couple other uh, uh, fan clubs. And I mm-hmm. just started reading and, and, and that's when I picked up, I already knew the media was talking bullshit because I remember reading a lot of stupid articles in the nineties and I just, why are you writing this? This is silly. Like, yeah, I don't remember the exact stories, but I, I just, Right there, and then and there, I just fit. The didn't oxygen seem... chamber and the elephant man. Yeah, and it was so those... much yeah. bullshit. So I knew the media was was twisting things, but I didn't think they were that sinister. But mm-hmm. when I started researching the, the the allegations from 2003 and onward to the trial, that's when I really learned how they operate. And when mm-hmm. I learned, uh, read information online and compared it to the headlines in the newspapers, I was like, they're out to get him. Yeah. This is a setup, all of it. The, the raid on Neverland, filming it live. That, that was my first reaction. How the fuck do you know that they're raiding Neverland? Why are there helicopters right. flying? Why were you prepared? It? Yeah, exactly. There was yeah. such a preparation. So, so, so after the, that, that moment, I just dug into the material and I got really involved in the process of spreading out information uh, uh helping the fan clubs and and i remember when the norwegian newspaper we went to santa uh, was it santa monica mm-hmm. it was in, uh, it was in uh yes it was yeah and i read the headlines and i, and I read the court uh, uh, documents because mm-hmm. they were released every day because it yeah. was an open trial i knew that they would uh, you can read everything that went on in the courtroom and i could see that they were twisting everything so i contacted contacted that journalist Oh, you did? He, was, he, he, he got surprised. I was like, what the hell are you doing? And he was like, hey, what are you talking about? Oh, You're lying. Well, I'm not lying. And I showed them the court documents. I was like, don't, 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 don't play with me. Good for you. I, I know what's going on, and I know what you guys are doing. And slowly, he started to realize that I wasn't the only one. Mm-hmm. Everybody could read the court documents. Mm-hmm. So he started changing the headlines. He didn't change the main headlines, but he started including what the defense was doing, wow. like in small portions. So I got him to kind of report the tri- trial as it happened. And I met him after the trial, and he thanked me. No way. This is he, incredible. He explained to me what was happening. What was happening was that the big news channels, they were in the courtroom picking up on the on the accusations, all the all the. Uh, controversy type of things and then they ran like Thomas Roy explained they ran out and just reported what what Gavin Orisa was saying what Tom Snedden was saying and the smaller news, pay, uh, news outlets like the Norwegian one didn't realize this they didn't have access to all the information so yeah. they were just reporting of what course. CNN was reporting what sure. BBC was reporting yeah. and he said you saved me from embarrassing this is Norway's biggest newspaper, embarrassing wow. the newspaper in front of the entire Norwegian audience. So he thanked me. That is incredible. <laughs> I mean, what what a what a, um, the word I'm looking for is 
what loyalty you showed to not just Michael Jackson, but to the fans, because this is a very, very critical moment. And and these are documents that will stay in history forever. And you were able to just go in there. I mean, bravo, kudos to you. Thank you for doing mm-hmm. that. That's incredible. And and this was a time that was really delicate for fans, I think, because like you, there were moments where I was like, oh, what if this is real? What if this is true? You know, I'm a mother and I, you know, I'm, this is something that I would, and I'm a mother of boys and it's something I would have really struggled with. And in the moments of like frustration and worry and fear that this could be true, I think the conclusion I drew, and again, you know, we all have to believe what we what we believe, right? Based on our research or based on our gut. But I think there is no question that Michael Jackson was eccentric and had some very, very bizarre and strange ways of being in the world because of his life and his childhood. We can't deny that. He said it many times. Did it reach the point of just cruelty and and horror on his part, that's where my heart says absolutely not. It just does not make sense to me that someone like him that did all the good that he did in the world can also be so sly and so disgusting. Would you say? That's uh, part of the reason why I figured out it was bullshit is because I already knew, understood Michael. Because uh, in many ways, me and him are the same. I'm... Uh, a person who, who has kept his, the child in me, and, and I am, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a giving person. I, I'm have, very empathic. I feel other people's suffering and, and what's going on in the world and watching what he was doing and knowing how he was helping people. And, and, and also the way he lived his life, that he wasn't, wanted to relive his childhood and all that, I got that. Mm-hmm. So to me, it wasn't strange. Nothing right. he did was bizarre. I, I I understood it completely because I don't see things as bizarre. I just people are different, and the reason why we are different uh, is because we have different experiences. And when you compare Michael Jackson's life to a normal person's life, you have to separate them. It, it's you can't compare. I mean. To put it in like in a funny perspective, Michael's like this alien who visited Earth and yes. tried to be a human but couldn't figure it out. Exactly. Was like, no, I want to do this, but he yeah. was forced to do it. He didn't have a choice. Yeah. So you can't blame him for become being who he was. Uh, I don't see it as eccentric. I see it as a guy who became an adult and really smart, really perceptive, really talented, but kept the child in him. So because he realized that if you want to be happy, you, you have to kind of keep that innocence. Mm-hmm. I, and I, Once I, you let that go, that's kind of like you kind of lose a part of yourself. I agree. I 100% agree with what you said uh, as far as like how he was and how he wanted to live life and how he wanted to have fun like a child. I think for me, where I really struggled with the eccentricity was how much he changed his face and his appearance. This, the skin disease, that's a whole other thing. I'm, I'm not concerned about that as much as I really, uh, it just, it broke my heart as someone that had a crush on him and how beautiful he was when he was younger. That's where I struggled. I, I will not lie about that because I tried so hard to pretend that oh it's he doesn't look that different he doesn't look that different but if i look at his face in you know 2009 and then look at his face in 1983 and age is one thing but this is not age we're talking about here that's i think where i struggled the most was seeing how tragic his discontent with himself his body dysmorphia was so severe that it that it came across as that and that's i think where most people's drive to criticize him and find so many things to pick on him 
stems from because we're so visual as as human beings if we see something that we can't understand and don't want to dive into the psychology of it we'll find a million reasons and excuses to criticize it so how do you resonate with that aspect of, of well, his well, metamorphosis for me, I, I pretty much didn't care how it looked i mean i mean i'm i i'm I don't judge people by how they look at all, and and I didn't care uh, what Michael was or was not doing to his face. I knew why his skin become lighter because sure. it said so in the Oprah interview that he had with LIGO. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's been proven. About... That's been proven yeah. medically. Yeah. But but you know I, I I realized that there's a lot of because he said I don't want to get into my medical history, so I re realized there's a lot of stuff we don't know mm -hmm. about about uh, what he gone through and after he died. Um, we got access to why mm -hmm. his appearance changed so much. And it turned out it wasn't him at all. It was his, It was the lupus. Sure. Because what happened was the lupus attacks the skin. So he had vitiligo and he had lupus. So, so the skin lost the pigmentation, but also when he did the operations on his nose, the scars didn't heal. And the lupus attacks the tissue. So his, his nose, the tissue on his nose was being destroyed by the lupus. So they had to do reconstructive surgery a lot of times. So he was kind of like stuck there. There's pretty much nothing he could do about it. And when I read, after that, when I read old stories, like he did 10 operations, I was like, no, he did a couple. And then he probably didn't realize that the lupus would, would cause problems. So, so the tissue just fell apart and, and he lost his hair. Mm -hmm. So he had to wear a wig. He yeah. lost his eyebrows. He had to tattoo his eyebrows. Um, so that, that's when I realized that all this changing is something, most of it was he couldn't help it. Yeah. So I don't think, so I know now by reading the autopsy that he didn't do a lot of stuff. That's that's the lupus. And that's I, why I, his his face looks so different. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you're saying 100%. I read the autopsy too because I was very curious. And and you you raise a really really good point. The sad thing is is that this was a cautionary tale, and we could have learned so much more about the tragedy of how these diseases affect us. And for someone like Michael Jackson, how his pride uh, was so shattered by judgment and criticism constantly that instead of being able to you know open up and talk about it and help others it, it just made him you know close up more and more because there's only so much pain one person can take um so this is you know once again we see what we've done to elvis and princess diana and you know all these celebrities michael jackson all these celebrities where britney spears right now you know in in the media we see what we do to them and then we expect them to be on top of all that superhumans that can talk about their problems as if it were nothing and we don't realize that at home behind closed doors we have no idea the amount of pain and sorrow and tears that they're shedding over their own um, sad life. So thank you for creating space in this conversation for really highlighting that because it's very easy to forget those things. And unless you're a hardcore Michael Jackson fan, people just like do this with their hand, shrug it off and just say, eh, whatever, he was just a wacko jacko. And uh, and it's it's it. what really upsets me is that that can interfere with his legacy as an artist. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and we as humans sadly learn from an early age that that we we look at different people as not normal uh so this is something that that's that's taught uh, it's not human nature it's taught to to and in norway it's like it has been in in a 
before I was born, if you were different in Norway, you were shunned. So, so Norwegian people, Michael lost a lot of fans when he changed his appearance in Norway. So the, uh, it's only after he died that people became fans again. So, uh, so I, I learned from an early age that that looking different is kind of that freaks people out. But mm-hmm. that's something they've been taught from an early age. Uh, and Michael didn't live uh, in the normal world, so he kind of—I think he didn't realize how people perceive each other, mm-hmm. like in oh, day-to-day yeah. life. And he was a very private person, a very shy person. So I don't think he thought of, thought of that the consequences of of not telling the world what was really going on. He opened up about the vitiligo, but he should have talked about the lupus. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people didn't know about those diseases. I, no, I, exactly. Maybe he was scared. Maybe he felt like if I open up too much, they will judge me even yeah, more. Absolutely. And let's not forget, I mean, we can't pretend like a lot of this also was not also race, racially driven and there was a lot of racism in how he was treated. That, I mean, you just, I, I mean, you have to be in denial to say that, no, he was, this has nothing to do with race and that he was the one that didn't accept his race. I think that that is one of the cruelest things that once again, we're seeing as a testament because- we can bring a list of, you know, non-black celebrities that have done things to themselves and no one talks about it. So yeah. I think that's a really important point. On that, I want to, I wanna, you know, be able to sort of um, create this full circle moment and go back to what is Michael Jackson's legacy. I want to tie it to your own personal uh, talent and your drive right now. How do you see that your talent, how do you use your talent to preserve the legacy that Michael Jackson um, sort of created at a time where artistry was not luck or artificial like it is today? Uh, well, the thing I, I focus most on, um, um, because I remember how I experienced Michael when I watched him and, and there's the, the there's a word that all impersonators use, and that's Michael's magic. His dancing, the costumes, all of that in one, that magical world is that experience. And only a few of us got to experience it. I saw him live once. Wait, so okay, so, it. oh, hang on. Oh, you did see him live. Yes, okay, in Oslo in 1997. Okay, okay, we're going to put that... Uh, Finish your thought, and then I want to go back to that. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I kind of knew... And how people react to that magic and by being able to recreate that and recreate those emotions that's what drew me to performing i love performing in general but i i i pick up on the reactions and i know what they're thinking i know what they're feeling and be able to recreate that that was like wow is that even possible and when he died that was the first thing i thought about was like we got to keep that magic alive yeah because that's his legacy. I mean, there's a lot of parts of his life and career that's part of the legacy, but the most important legacy is the magic. Yeah. And that's what I focus on when I, I because I teach kids Michael Jackson dancing, and I've been doing that for 11 years. And that's the main focus, the main thing about my workshops is introducing the kids to the Michael Jackson magic. Mm-hmm. And I see how they react to it, not just by watching me, but I tell them, uh, today go home ask mom and dad go on youtube and they do mm-hmm. they come back and they're like did you watch michael jackson yeah we watch all michael jackson even the parents <laughs> tell me yeah it's michael jackson every day now and that's when i know okay that's when i know i i done my job so so for me it's about letting those who have experienced re-experience it for for a 
like people who saw him live many years ago can like uh, uh, experience it again through someone else. Yeah. But also the people that never got to see him live or didn't experience uh, uh, when he was uh, him and when he was alive get a taste of what it was like and get uh, experience that magic. So when I, I'm on stage, that's what it's about. It's about letting the audience come into this uh, virtual reality of Michael Jackson experiencing what it would be like to see him live, to see the dancing, the, sh the Michael Jackson show. Mm -hmm. And I was very inspired by, by meeting other impersonators in Holland when I met Andre Santasi and I talked to, to uh, the organizer called Dice. They were also the magic of Michael Jackson, the mm -hmm. magic of Michael Jackson. So that's, they, they kind of like inspired me to focus on that part. So when I, every time I perform, I have, uh, really focus on on having including as much as i can the elements that creates the magic like the bill jean spotlights yeah uh wind machine yes uh silhouettes and all those uh, uh, stuff and the dancing and just just i i know i know how it's supposed to look like i know how it's supposed to feel i have studied it so many times i know how the bill jean performance feels like yeah I know how Urson feels like. Well, you you actually I've seen in life. So. You have the eye of a director and a cinematographer. Because again, I again, please to the listeners, go and check out Kent Olaf's Instagram, YouTube, and all of that will be posted in the bio of the episode. Because when I watch you, and, and sometimes you even have the side by side. It's kind of spectacular it's stunning to see how you've really studied every angle and that's i think where you're right where the magic sits it's it, and michael was like that i mean he was the king of music videos he brought music videos to the industry when no one else knew that a song could do all that and give you all of that it's a storytelling performance not just you know a, a spinning or, yeah. or a song so I never got to see him live, and that was one of my biggest, saddest regrets. I came this close with This Is It. I was like, finally, now I get to buy tickets, because I didn't grow up where Michael Jackson ever came on tour. I grew up in the Middle East, and by the time I immigrated to the United States, he was not touring as actively anymore, because it was the late 1990s, early 2000s. So when This Is It came up, I was like, yes, this is it, you know? So, but you <laughs> got to see him in 1987, so this was... 97. 97, so this was the, the history, history tour. tour. Okay, so what was that like? That was surreal. Uh, people ask me that question and I have like a short answer to, uh, I mean, you can describe it in so many ways. It's like, uh, and you can ask Jeff Bezos because he's been into space, so you can probably <laughs> relate, but it's like being shot into orbit and doing orbit around the earth and then yeah. land. Wow. It's, it, you, you exit the real world yeah. into this magical world where you're just sucked into the energy that the show creates and you just get tumbled around and thrown around. It's like a roller wow. coaster ride. Yeah. And and you come out of it and you're like, whoa. What happened? Yeah. Well, this speaks to our human nature. I mean, we are so sensitive and so in tune and we can be so connected to each other and have so many ways and opportunities to do that. And yet, we allow for so much interference of noise. And these are why, this is why these moments are so magical, right? I'm so grateful yeah. that you got to do that. How close were you to the stage? Uh, I think it was about 15 meters. I made a huge mistake Whoa. because I was there early. And when we started running, I had an opportunity to get into the front. But I ended up on the sides because there was a fence separating 30,000 people and then the people in the front mm -hmm. to prevent people getting crushed. Sure. 
So I got past that fence, but I ended up on the side and I told my friend, I got to see Michael from the middle, so let's go back. And when the concert started, I noticed that the people in the back of that fence, there was an open space. They can walk back and forth. And I was like, ah, damn. But I got to see him close enough to that that I I could actually see him. Yeah, And it wasn't like a small dot. So so I got, got the show... Straightforward uh, in front of me, uh, and and the stage was huge, and and I remember the sound. It's the most incredible sound I ever heard in my entire life. I never been to a concert that can even match the the the, the power of the sound, the clarity. Mm-hmm. Because he had, I read about it. He had like four hundred speakers, and they were pumping out four hundred thousand watts, and it was crystal clear uh-huh. uh, sound, and it was surround. Yeah. And when the bass hit, I mean, there was concrete <laughs> floor. <laughs> When the bass hits, it's like it hurts your feet and it's like a fist punching you. <laughs> so that's when I realized what Michael was talking about, feeling yeah. the music. Yeah. Full body. You experience. really felt it. And 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 the pyros and uh-huh. and it was just perfect. Yeah. Every aspect of the show was perfect. You couldn't like I think the only thing that you could point out was that it wasn't singing live, but I, I didn't think about that at all when uh, I was watching. That never bothered me. I have to say, I mean, uh, the listeners can hear your enthusiasm, but I see your enthusiasm. And it's, I mean, you were talking about a concert in 1997. You are reliving it right now in front of me as if it just happened last week. So I love how magical that is, that it still lives within you. I mean, I can really see that. It's like, you're just glowing right now. I love that. <laughs> uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and, as soon as I got my first copy of uh, of a history tour concert on VHS, I started rehearsing yeah. the entire show and I learned the entire show and started collecting all the history tour and the history tour also. But my history tour became like the, the tour I wanted to study the most because I saw it live. Mm-hmm. So of I just course. wanted to, to, to learn it because seeing, seeing it uh, uh, for real mm-hmm. and then doing it, yeah. it was like... That's that. That's that's meat for my brain. My yeah. brain was like, okay, this this is this is it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can embody so, uh, it. Yeah, you can. You you yeah. you tasted it. So when you taste it, yeah. you can really. Let me ask you, what is your favorite um, Michael Jackson dance and song to perform? Um, I have three. Uh, it's Billie Jean, Stranger in Moscow, and Earth Song. That's my three favorites. Oh wow, those are. I mean, those are incredible. I did see your clip of Stranger in Moscow. That was incredible. That because that you would think of that as such a ballad song, as such a soft song, and yet it's so uh, the the beat in it is just extraordinary. Yeah, and, and the way Michael moves. I was when I was studying Michael, I didn't just study when he was dancing. I studied when he was moving to slow songs, so like "You're Not Alone." Yes, Stranger in Moscow. And I remember reading the review of History Tour uh, in 96. The, the guy said that when he, Stranger Moscow came on, that's when Michael shows that he doesn't need all the special effects yeah. and all that fancy stuff. It's just him and his moves. So mm-hmm. I was curious what, because I was kind of thinking like human nature, mm-hmm. that type of thing mm-hmm. with the robotics and yes. all that. And when I got to watch it live and hear Stranger Moscow play on that sound system and watch Michael do all the moves, I was like, whoa. Well, you know, because he was also such an incredible beatboxer. So when you can beatbox yeah. like that, you, it's like a whole other feeling. That's a whole other level for sure. For me, my favorite song to perform, and this is odd because a lot of people, especially here in America, don't even know the song, is Ghost. I love dancing to Ghost, even though he never officially did a ghost dance. But that one has like all of those like 
perfect, delicious moments where you can put in those beats. So um, yeah. good choices. Those are incredible choices. Um, so what is next for you? What are you doing as we wrap up here? I, I want to know what's next for you. I want to know where people can find more of you. Are you doing tours right now? I know COVID has probably affected some of that. Uh, well, mostly over the years, I do private shows because in Norway, uh, the market for impersonation is very small. Mm -hmm. We did a tour in 2012 and 2013, which was a high, uh, big production tour. Mm -hmm. But it turned out that uh, it wasn't uh, profitable. They were losing money. So they canceled the tour after like uh, 40, 50 shows. Mm -hmm. So I was disappointed. I tried to get something going, but there was no interest from from. Uh, production companies nothing so because they had they had like this uh prejudice against impersonation they were like you're not you uh, this is not the real deal so we're not going to spend money on this so so i've been since then wanting to do a tour wanting to do a big show but i realized that i will never achieve that in norway so i've been trying to find something outside of norway mm -hmm. I haven't succeeded yet uh that's one of the reasons why i joined uh, norway's got talent because i wanted to get my stuff on the mainstream uh, uh, media because I realized that that doing small trivia here and there wouldn't lead to much, but mm -hmm. and that didn't work out. Uh, so my my goal still, and that's probably why I'm still uh, have the ambition I have, is to do my own show, my mm -hmm. own tour, and recreate what Michael did on his tours and travel around and just let people experience what it is to be uh, at a Michael Jackson concert. And that could happen in a year or in five years. I don't know. It may never happen. I'm a little envious of uh, the impersonators in bigger countries because there's a market there. They mm -hmm. have production companies. They have mm -hmm. financial support. And I see a lot of impersonators touring with their big shows. Yeah. And that's what I want to do. Vegas. So uh, I will. Vegas yeah. would be, yeah. The, the yeah, place. so right now it's the workshops that uh, that I'm doing the most. I'm doing a performance in January at a private event in Oslo. Mm -hmm. That will be my first performance in two years, and we'll see. But mm. uh, if I can go outside Norway, maybe to the United States or the UK, uh, and join some big production, that would be a dream come true. Have you, have you tried to audition for Britain's Got Talent, which is closer to you, and then, of course, America's Got Talent? I've sent uh, applications, but they haven't picked me yet. But I know that if I got a chance to do a performance on Britain's Got Talent, uh, that would open doors. Yeah. So uh, I'm even in Norway's Got Talent, uh, I only did the audition. They didn't even show it on television, but I have it on YouTube. Oh, and wow. Right today, it has over 12 million views, and it's still picking up views. The funny thing is, I wasn't shown on television. I didn't get past it the second round, but my audition is the most viewed of Norway's Got Talent of all of them. No even, the, even the winners kidding. for the past 10 years. Are you serious? And it's still going. It's, uh, uh, I think the second place has like four or five million views or something, and they they don't get any views anymore because they're like four or five, six, seven years old videos. And this one just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. So I know that if I got a chance, and Norway is a small market, so Norway's Got Talent has pretty much no reach compared to uh, to Britain's Got Talent, America's Got Talent. So I, I know that if I got a chance to perform uh, on British television or, or uh, 
America's Got Talent or something like that, mm-hmm. that would open doors. And I think that's when the ball is going to start yeah. rolling. So even though I'm 41 years old, I have people asking me, hey, how are you going to do this? I'm like, I don't care. Uh, I mean, what what does age have to do with it? First of all, as long second, as my body is still, uh, I'm a perfectionist. And the day I, I feel that I'm, my dancing is not up to, up to speed where I want it to be, maybe that's when I start thinking about doing something else. But at the moment, yeah. uh, dancing at 41 is, is incredible. as easy, if not easier, as, because I'm not losing fitness. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I find that interesting because I saw Michael losing fitness after the history tour. Mm-hmm. I realized that he, he was, and I learned after from, from reading about his health, but also from Omer Body. You know that Norwegian guy who is a friend of his? Omer? Mm-mm. Omer Bate, he, he, uh, he's, um, he lived with Michael uh, from 96 to 2003 in uh, Neverland. He's a close friend to his kids. Oh, okay. Uh, there was even a rumor uh, a few years ago that he was Michael's son, but he's not. Oh, oh, <laughs> he, oh was, Omar, he, he I know exactly. On, sorry, yeah, sorry, yes, I, I Omar. You heard mm-hmm. about it. Yes, 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 I know who you're he talking about. He was interviewed on Norwegian television and they asked him, does Michael work out? And he was like, no. Oh, yeah. He just dances. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized after I uh, turned 35 that I had to step up my workouts because when you're my age, if I take a two-month break now... Mm-hmm. You feel it. <laughs> yeah. So I... I uh, and my, my advantage is I don't drive a car. I ride my bicycle and I walk. Yeah. So I'm, I'm physically active every single day. Yeah. And I'm dancing and doing all that stuff. And... If I keep doing that, I can dance for at least 10 year, more years. So and more. let's just keep going. <laughs> and that's what I was going to say. If anything, I think the takeaway from today's conversation is the fact that you keep following your dream, keep doing what you love, and and keep at it. Because there there is no formula. There's no reason that we need to believe that there's a limit or some time to stop. Why? Why stop? Oh. If you're doing what you're doing, you love it, and you're still incredible at it. Why Why stop? I mean, who cares yeah, what the calendar that's, says? That, that, that's how I feel. I mean... Um, the performance in January, that's the first performance in two years. And I know that I will go out there and give 190%. Yeah. And I know that it will work out just fine because when I dance, I, I feel that my body is still doing it and, and I can do a tour. And it's as long as I have that, I will keep going. And so if I'm 50 years old and still dancing, that would be just be awesome. It would be incredible. Amazing. And it will be. I mean, I have no doubt. I, I mean, I really have no doubt. Listen, this has been, first of all, such a pleasure for me to be able to talk about Michael Jackson for an entire hour with another fellow fan, because anymore, it's a conversation that either sparks, you know, controversy and and agitation or you know it's it's something people avoid but to be able to speak to a fellow fan someone Mm -hmm. who really understands loves and appreciates who michael jackson was as an artist and as a person is is the greatest gift for me right now and i really thank you for taking the time and above all that i just want to thank you for keeping the magic alive i've said it at the beginning of this episode and i'll say it again now you truly are in my opinion the best impersonator out there and like i said I, I may not know their names but i've watched many of them i've even seen a couple of them live and they were good they were good you can tell it's not michael jackson but with you there is almost an impossibility to differentiate if you if i mean if, if we did cgi and put michael jackson's face on you there's no way people would know that it's not him so keep you know my secret yes please. i teach this to, to uh, uh, other impersonators i figured out how to do it 
Uh, there's two things. First, Michael moves really fast. He has a lot of details in his moves. You have to watch him in slow motion. Oh. You learn all the movements, and you have to do it not just once, several times, Ooh. and then watch him in, in normal speed, and just learn the movement slowly to, to memorize it. Wow. And that goes for all the moves. And then the second part is watching yourself in a silhouette. Oh, that's really good. So I use I use shadows. Like I, if I have a white wall and the sun is shining and mm. I can see my shadow, I use that silhouette and I draw a picture of Michael. Because I know I know I've seen him so many times, yeah. I know what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. So I use that silhouette to perfect the angles, the movements. So what so, so the result is what you see. That's I love that what I was aiming for because I figured out really early on that this is how you, because I've seen a lot of impersonators when they dance and I know why it's so difficult because if you watch Michael in, in normal speed, you catch like 50% of That's the details true. and you have no way of knowing if it looks exactly the same. It might look a little bit the same, mm -hmm. but if you use that silhouette, that's when you start seeing michael because that's you're incredible. not if you, if you look in a mirror you're watching yourself that's distracting that's right yeah no it's and true. the lights in a room if you watch michael rehearse he always dim, dims the lights so he watches his own silhouettes that's incredible and that's how he perfected all his movements to look as good as they do because his his dancing is elegant stylish and perfect yeah it's just not it, it, it's not just cool to look at but you see that it's it's the, the, where the perfection comes from yeah and slow Small motion, details, that slow motion is an incredible key as well for any dancer, but especially for dances that you want so to really... I teach that to other impersonators. They ask me, how do you do it? And I tell them to do it that way. And the feedback is, it works. So, so everybody can do this. It's very, very true. It's just like art right now. If people are learning how to do art, you know, sketches. You can do the yeah. same if you slow. That, what a tip. Thank you. Hey, as <laughs> soon as I revive my, my own dancing again, it's been a while. But I, you know, that's something to think about. Uh, Kent Olaf, this was wonderful. So I, I want to wrap up our, our conversation with something I do with all of my guests, which is just for fun to end it. I like to do like a speed round rapid fire question. So I'm going to ask you 10 questions. Just give me the first answer that comes to mind. Yours is going to be unique because it's a first for me. It's all Michael Jackson. All the yeah. other ones are generic questions, but no, I want to focus with you on Michael Jackson. So <clears throat> let's do this. Um, yeah. First answer that comes to mind. Beat It or Billie Jean? Billie Jean. Favorite Michael Jackson album? History. Music videos or live performances? Live performances. Moonwalk or the Gravity Tilt in Smooth Criminal? Moonwalk. Uh, favorite Michael Jackson outfit? The History Tour gold costume with the armor. Oh, nice. Uh, the hat or the glove? The hat. Michael Jackson in the 70s, the 80s, or the 90s? 90s. Favorite tour? Not not necessarily that you attended, just your favorite tour? History. History. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Wiz or Moonwalker? Moonwalker. My last question has nothing to do with Michael Jackson, but I ask it to all my guests, so I have to ask it to you. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? No. 
Thank you. <laughs> Spoken like a true <laughs> European. <laughs> this was such great fun, Kentolov. Thank you so much. I look forward to the Likewise. day that you are touring the world and coming to the United States or when we are in Norway, you never know. I would love to see you perform live. Thank you so much for keeping the king's magic alive and and not just that, but for just showing up so authentically in the world. I think your magic your own authentic magic is is shining through, so keep it up. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is produced and recorded by Dante Falk, edited and mixed by Eros Falk, original music by Dante and Eros Falk, recorded in Olympia, Washington at Casa Nostra Studios. Visit the website, jasminefalkdickerson.com. Ciao for now. Thank you.